Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good morning. Good morning. And we are in the second of a series on Hebrews. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, hmm, It feels quite a long time ago since we were talking about Hebrews, and that's because two weeks ago we had the privilege of praying for Julia and the team as they set off for Bramley, and then last week we had a special guest and were being commissioned for work, Uh, and so it's actually three weeks ago that we started our series on Hebrews. So I thought that we should have a little recap of where we got to. And to help us do that, we're going to watch uh, just about two and a half, three minutes of a video that comes from The Bible Project. The Bible Project is a brilliant resource uh, with videos and podcasts that you can um, access for free, um, and their aim is to help us to understand the Bible more. So we're going to watch just a couple of minutes on Hebrews. First, there's a short introduction, which is followed by four sections where the author compares and contrasts Jesus with key people and events from Israel's history. Jesus is first compared with angels in the Torah, second with Moses and the Promised Land, third with priests and Melchizedek, and lastly with the sacrifices in the covenant. And the author has two main goals in all of these contrasts. The first goal is to elevate Jesus as superior to anyone or anything else, showing that Jesus is worthy of all their trust and devotion. But his second goal is this, it's to challenge the readers to remain faithful to Jesus despite persecution. So in every section, he includes a strong warning not to abandon Jesus. So let's dive in now and see how this all unfolds. The elevation of Jesus begins in the opening sentence of the introduction. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many different ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. So the author's saying that Jesus is superior to all of the previous ways that God has revealed himself to Israel. He then makes this astounding claim that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's nature. These metaphors are making the closest possible identification between Jesus and God. So Jesus is what the rays of light are to the sun, or Jesus is what the wax impression is to the signet ring. For this author, there is no God apart from Jesus. Jesus is God become human as the Son. And it's this elevated view of Jesus that's then explored throughout the rest of the letter. In the first section, the author compares Jesus with angels, which might strike you as kind of odd, like why angels? In Jewish tradition, it was taught, based on Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, that the Torah and the words of God were delivered to Moses at Mount Sinai by angels. And so by saying that Jesus is superior to angels, the author is claiming that Jesus and his message of good news are superior to all previous messengers of God's word. And so the first warning flows from this very point. If Israel was called to pay attention to the Torah that was delivered by angels, how much more should we pay attention to the message that was announced by the Son of God? And not only that, given Jesus' status high above the angels, How remarkable is it that he gave up that high status to become human, to suffer, and to die? In Jesus, we see God's greatest glory and God's great humility as Jesus sympathetically joined himself to humanity's tragic fate. So, uh, just a little reminder. Um, We also gave out some of these journals on Hebrews, and I know that some people really wanted one, and we didn't have enough, so there are some more. So I'm going to put them down here, and um, if you want to come and get one, you're really welcome to. 
So Hebrews. Hebrews is all about how great Jesus is. And so this morning, as you come, it may be that you are just trying to find out about Jesus. You're on the first steps of of wondering who is this person, Jesus. Hebrews is a great book to reveal some of the truths of who Jesus is. But it may be that you've known Jesus for a long time. And the danger for some of us then is that actually we take it for granted just how amazing Jesus is. And so I'm going to pause, I'm going to pray that wherever we are this morning, we would see something new of Jesus. Father God, as we reflect together today on these words from Hebrews, will you open our eyes? Will you expand our hearts and our minds that we can see more of how great Jesus is? In Jesus' name, amen. So it's all about elevating Jesus. It's all about lifting Jesus high and saying, Jesus is more than. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is better than at every point. And the challenge to remain faithful. We elevate Jesus and the challenge to remain faithful. And as our video reminded us, in chapters 1 and 2, the author of Hebrews does this by saying Jesus is greater than the angels. Now in chapter 3, where Jane was reading for us from today, he goes on to say Jesus is greater than Moses. Now the thing for us is, I think in our heads, we have humans, angels, God. Kind of in a bit of a, you know, importance. But you know, for the Jews, for the original hearers of this letter, they would have held Moses more important than angels. Moses the prophet was more important in their eyes than an angel, because Moses is described as one who talks face to face with God. Moses is the one who leads the people out of slavery in Egypt. He was the one who brought the law to them. He was God's mouthpiece for them. And so Moses was held high. And so it makes sense for the author of Hebrews to move on. Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is even greater than Moses. And to help us explore how he talks about that, we're going to look at three words this morning. Just three words that help us. House, rest, today. House, rest, today. And helpfully, or unhelpfully, the author uses each of those in different ways. But we're going to look at house, rest, and today. And in all of those words, how do they help us? 
elevate Jesus and challenge our faith. Now, the whole background to this chapter comes in the stories of the Old Testament. One of the greatest joys that I have um, in leading the interns is that I get to tell them the stories of the Old Testament. I get to share how excited I get about the Bible. And um, uh, the other day, I had them trying to work out the characters of the Old Testament and what order they came in. And um, The thing about it is, why I'm so passionate about telling those stories is that as we read those stories, when we come to Jesus, we see how great the promises and the themes we find in the Old Testament are revealed and fulfilled in Jesus. So the story is, of course, of Moses. Moses, the one who God used to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt, through the dangers of the Red Sea and into the wilderness. There, God gives Moses instructions for building a tabernacle, a tent, a place of meeting, where the presence of God would meet them in the midst of the wilderness. And Moses follows the instructions, and the tabernacle is built. Moses was faithful to God at each point in building that house of God. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't just follow the instructions. Jesus gives the instructions. He was the word that spoke creation into being. In the the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there at creation. God is the builder of all things. And so Moses, Moses is a faithful servant in the house of God, both the tabernacle, but also they use that sense house as the people of God. And as Moses brought these kind of, you know, slaves all over the place, he gathered them together, and God was building them into a people, his people. And in that house of God, Moses was a faithful servant. But Jesus was the son over the house who sits on his throne, Lord of all. We who love the Lord Jesus are now in that house. We are his house. For by his spirit, we are the house of God. And Jesus is Lord over all. So Jesus is held up as greater than Moses. He was the builder of the house, not just the giver of instructions. And then the author, if you're following, in chapter 3 of Hebrews, gives a warning. To give the warning, he quotes from Psalm 95. Don't be like the people that Moses led. Don't be. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. What happened with those people was that Moses brought them through. There was this amazing ways in which God provided for them and protected them. 
He protected them from the onslaught of the Egyptian army. He provided food and water in the desert. And every time they had these miracles, and then they'd forget. And they'd start to grumble. And they'd take their eyes off the God who'd provided for them, the God who'd protected. And they would grumble and say, where is God? Why has he done this to us? And God would provide again. But they kept seeing the problems bigger than God. And that reached its kind of peak when they're about to enter into the promised land, this place of rest, which we'll come to in a minute, that God had promised to them. And they send spies into the land. And the spies come back. And all but two of them say, we can't go in there. The people are too big. It's too dangerous. It's too awful. All they can see are the size of the problems. And they've forgotten how big God is. And so God, God is angry and God says, you cannot enter into the promised land. This generation cannot enter. They'd lost sight of the greatness of God. And the author here in Hebrews, he's saying to this group of people who are likely to have been being persecuted today, Don't be like those people that Moses led and lose sight of how big God is. Many of them were likely to be facing persecution. But he says, don't see that as bigger than the God who loves you, the God who cares for you. You know, at this moment in time, there are many who are worried about provision and protection. We've just prayed about the famine around the world. There are members of our own families and our own contexts and our own communities who are worried about where the next meal will come from. And there's situations where we're concerned. We're concerned about war as it comes ever closer. And it's right that as the house of God, we work with all that we are to help one another to feed the hungry, to stand for peace. But in the midst of that, we cannot take our eyes off how great Jesus is, that he is bigger than the problems. He is bigger and greater and works through his people. Don't lose sight. Don't let the problems diminish Jesus in our eyes. Now, what is this rest that is talked about a number of times through these two chapters? Well, it's spoken of over chapters 3 and 4 in three different ways. The writers of the Bible always like to keep us on our toes, make sure we're paying attention. And it's firstly spoken of about the Sabbath day, when God, having finished creation, stops and proclaims a day of rest A day to stop and be aware of God's presence. There was that promise. A day marked out as different. And then for the Hebrews, there was the promise that they would enter into God's rest. A place, a land where they wouldn't be in slavery. Where there would be provision and protection. And they would know the presence of God with them the rest that God wanted them to enter into. 
But there was also the final rest, as it were, a rest still to come. Because the writer in, in, in Psalm 95 speaks about future rest. And, and the Hebrews had entered the promised land. The next generation had gone in. And in that place, they had known peace for a while. And they knew the presence of God with them. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't total rest. But there were still wars around. There were still times of famine. There were still difficulties to face. And so a future rest is promised. And the author of the Hebrews says, today, don't don't miss out on that future rest that you are able to enter into because of what Jesus has done. Because of what Jesus has done. We have the rest of the Sabbath, the rest of the promised land, and the rest that is to come. The gift of God. Not something that we could earn, but something to receive And each of those rests is about the presence of God. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden walked and talked with God. They knew his presence with them. In the Promised Land, the Hebrews had rest from their enemies and freedom to worship God. And now in Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, all can know the gift of rest, his presence, his presence, and breathe in. When Jesus died, the curtain in the temple was torn in two, and we are able to enter into the holy presence of God and breathe in his peace. And this gift of peace to come, yes, There is the day to come when Jesus returns and all sorrow will be gone and all fear and suffering will end. And we look to that with joy and excitement. But the author also says, today. Today you can know that rest. Today don't harden your hearts. And he uses the word today a lot. He's saying, today, don't put off this decision to think about Jesus. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Today, today is the day to not harden our hearts. Today is the day to fix our eyes on the one who is bigger than all that we face. Today is the day to know his Sabbath rest. Now, I don't know about you, But sometimes when we talk about Sabbath, there can be this kind of view that we have to have 24 hours where we don't do anything and we just have silence and it's beautiful. And a lot of us are thinking we have small children who need care and energy and attention. Or many of you are looking after elderly relatives. You can't stop and say, today I'm having a Sabbath. And so our time often we don't get to just be. And yet, whoever we are, whatever our circumstances, Sabbath is about stopping long enough to breathe in and remember that God is God. 
That's what I've learned. It's about stopping long enough to take a deep breath and declare again that God is bigger than all that I face and all that is going on. It's about breathing in that presence of God that is there all the time, but it's noticing it, stopping to be aware of it, to do something different from our routine, to notice that God is there, to ensure that our hearts are not hardened as the people Moses were leading, but our hearts are softened to remember God's goodness, to remember the times he's provided for us, to remember the times he's protected us. One of my favorite prayers um, is written by Pete Gregg, and it comes um, from a, an app called Lectio 365. I don't know if anybody uses it. A really helpful daily app that gives a little Bible reflection and chance to pray. And in that, it has this prayer on the Sabbath. May this day bring Sabbath rest to my heart and my home. Not just a not doing things, but a Sabbath rest. May God's image in me be restored and my imagination in God be re-storied. May I be put back into that big story of God, the one who led the people out of slavery. May the gravity of material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. But whether I've got 10 minutes or three hours, I know the God out of time restoring and renewing. May I know grace to embrace my own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word feed me and his spirit lead me into the week and into the life to come. What a prayer to breathe in God's presence. So, how do we respond? The author of chapters three and four is saying, Jesus is so much greater than Moses. You hold him up as this great prophet. But the people under him were hardening their hearts because they failed to see beyond him the greatness of God. Don't be like them. So we have a responsibility to check our hearts, to check our hearts, are we allowing our hearts to keep remembering how great God is? But there's also one other challenge this morning. Did you notice in verse 13, it said this, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, now, the thing is, today is today, but when you get to tomorrow, it will be today. And when you get to Wednesday, it will be today. You following me? Yes, great. Each day is today, and so we have the challenge to encourage one another. As the house of God, how are we going to do that? And we're going to do that in a number of ways, I think two ways, practically, practically. Um, last week, I was away with 70 um, 18 to 24-year-olds who are all taking part in the New Wine Discipleship Year. And we stopped one of the sessions and said, right, 
Unusually for us, normally we're saying put away your phones. We said take out your phones and text an encouragement to somebody who has encouraged you so that you're here doing what you're doing this year. And I just loved that moment when 70 messages were winging their way all around the country to people saying, thank you, you encouraged me in the faith. Last week, you were sent out into your places of work and leisure and all the places that you go. Have you asked anybody this morning, how have you seen Jesus at work this week? How did Jesus equip you for that awful meeting you were about to go into? How have you seen Jesus And we encourage one another in our faith. Secondly, prayerfully. So we encourage daily practically, and we encourage daily prayerfully. We pray often for the provision that we need. We pray often for the protection of those we love. But how often do we pray for their vision of Jesus to be enlarged? How often do we pray for their faith to grow? Because as our faith in Jesus Christ grows and grows, so we're able to stand in the storm. As our picture of Jesus grows, so we're able to not simply survive, but to thrive in his presence. As our picture of Jesus grows, we're able to encourage one another with how great he is. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.